Heavenly Father, God, it is so good to be here tonight. It is so good to be here with you. And we pray that you will be in our hearts. We pray that you will work powerfully to help us to understand your will for our lives, to help us to recognize what the Christian life means, and to help us to enjoy you to the fullest. We pray for these blessings. We know that they can only come from you. And we thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> On October 14, 1989, Dick Hoyt ran 26.2 miles, swam 2.4 miles, and bicycled for 112 miles to complete the Hawaiian Ironman competition. Now, I don't know about you, you're a lot, probably in a lot better shape than I am, but that would be quite amazing. I could not do it. But what really made this incredible was that Dick Hoyt did it with his 125-pound quadriplegic son in tow. His son Rick had been born with spastic quadriplegia and uh, cerebral palsy. For the first 11 years of his life, he could not communicate with his parents, with his friends, with his brothers and sisters, with anybody in the world for the first 11 years of his life until they took him to Tufts University in Boston and they made a special computer program for him. That's my favorite part of the story, by the way. They made a computer program for him where he would see letters on the screen and he could build a sentence by banging his head against the sensor whenever the next letter came up. And for the first time in his life, he could communicate. And do you know what he said? Do you know what his first sentence was? Go Bruins. Turns out he was a sports fan. Who knew? Anyway, at the age of, 19, uh, at age of 15 in 1977, this was the first time that Rick asked his dad for a run. And uh, his dad said, you know, I would like to help out. This was a charity run for an injured lacrosse player. It was five miles. And his son asked him to, to run with him. And uh, his dad said, you know, he was described himself as portly at that particular time in his life. He says, yeah, I'd love to do this for you, but I'm not sure I can, but I'll try. And so he did, and they did. They finished the race together. Probably not in first place. But anyway, they finished the race together. And afterwards, Rick spelled out laboriously to his dad the sentence, Dad, when I'm running, I don't feel handicapped anymore. And you can imagine what that statement did for his dad. Can you imagine how that statement transformed his life? He says, I want to give my son that feeling as much as possible. And so they have run in over a thousand races together of all sizes and shapes. Why did Dick do it? Why did he go through all this time, all this training, all this effort, all this pain? Why did he do it? He did it because he wanted to see the smile on his son's face. My friends, such love as that is one of the most powerful forces in all the world. It was love that led Jacob to work seven long, hard years for Rachel, and yet they seemed to him but a few days because of her love for her. And it's the same way in the Christian life. Love transforms the Christian life from a should-do, must-do experience into a get-to love relationship with Jesus. And that's the relationship that Jesus wants to have with us. No wonder then that God wants us to love him. In fact, what is the first and great commandment? 
Thou shalt love who? God with what? All your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. No wonder that the first fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. And the second is joy. No wonder, friends, that this may be one of the most important questions that you and I as Christians need to learn the answer to. It's not just a trivial question. It's not just splitting hairs. This is foundational to the whole Christian experience. How can I enjoy God? How can I relish him? One of my favorite writers puts it this way. If Christ be in us the hope of glory, we shall discover such matchless charms in him that the soul will be enamored. But a profession without that deep love is mere talk, dry formality, and heavy drudgery. The devil would have you and I believe that the Christian life is one of self-denying, self-sacrificing drudgery. But that's not what the Christian life is about. The Christian life is actually about self-denying, self-sacrificing joy. Yes, the self-denial is there. Yes, the self-sacrifice is there. But love transforms it from a drudgery into a joy. If we love Jesus, we shall love to live for him, to present our thank offerings to him, to labor for him. The very labor will be light. For his sake, we shall covet pain and toil and sacrifice. We shall sympathize with his longing for the salvation of men. We shall feel the same tender craving for souls that he has felt. This is the religion of Christ. And this love that we're talking about here tonight is not a common love. It's not one love among many loves. It is a soul-pervading, self-sacrificing, all-or-nothing love in which Jesus is the center around which our whole life revolves. But don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about a constant ecstasy of feeling. In fact, I'm not talking about feeling at all. Feelings are not good indicators of your love relationship with anybody, by the way. In fact, my favorite definition of joy is a calm delight. Wouldn't you just love to have a calm delight in God, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what time of day, no matter what time of week, a calm delight in the Almighty God. And that's what he wants for us. But you know what's something interesting about this command to love him with all of our heart and mind and soul and strength? What's interesting about that command is it is a command that we cannot obey by ourselves. We do not control our love. I can't stand here right now and say, okay, I just, right now I'm going to start loving God with all my heart and mind and soul and strength. It doesn't work that way. We do not have a knob in our life like the burner on a stove that turns up our love for God. So where does that love for God come from? The Bible tells us that love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. But now we have a problem. Because God commands us to love him with all of our heart and mind and soul and strength. That's his command. And he is the answer to that command. He is the power of that command. He is the one that gives us that love. So let me ask you a question. If that's true, then why would my love for God be lukewarm? How can I not love God with all of my heart and mind and soul and strength if he commands it and he provides it? But you know, most of my sincere Christian experience, my love for God was tepid at best. Even though I grew up in a good Christian home, 
went to good Christian schools, had wonderful church families all my life, my love for God just was not there. It didn't grow. For most of my Christian experience, I did not enjoy prayer. Prayer is, is the breath of the soul. It is the communing with the one we love. You know, I, I spent a lot of my Christian experience looking for excuses to shorten my prayer time, looking for excuses to shorten my devotional time, or even skip it completely. And my friends, if we say that we love somebody, but we find ourselves looking for excuses to avoid them, we probably need to reevaluate our love relationship. And that was true in my case. That's exactly what happened to me. What was I missing? What was the problem? Why did the plant of love fail to grow in my heart? Well, if you ask a lot of people how to grow in love for Jesus, what will they tell you? You need more prayer, which of course is a problem for me because I didn't like prayer, right? Uh, you need more Bible study. You need more witnessing, right? This is, this is the three stock things that people will tell you you need. And yet, are these three things in and of themselves the only answer to loving God with all of our heart and mind and soul and strength? These things can be, can be compared to sunshine and nutritious soil and the rain that is necessary to make a plant grow. And yes, we do need these three things. You cannot have a love relationship with Jesus without them, but are they all you need? If they were all you need, then the Pharisees would have had it made, right? Because they're the ones that were always praying. They loved to pray. They were on the street corners every opportunity they had. When was the last time you were on street corners praying? Hopefully you were out in a mission experience recently and you did that. But, you know, they were the ones who spent hours every day enjoying God's Word. They did it for debating purposes, but still, they were in God's Word hours every day. They went all over the world looking for new converts, which they called proselytes. And yet Jesus said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. So, there must be something else. So let me ask you this logically. Got any botanists here? What else do you need for a plant to grow than an ideal growing environment? In other words, besides an ideal growing environment, what else does a plant need to grow? The answer is a seed. And that's what I was missing. All my life I had the ideal growing environment, but I had no seed. And where does the seed come from? The seed of love comes from God. Only God can give us that seed. Only He can plant it deep within our hearts. But you know what? He can't do it if we don't let Him. God cannot give us that seed of love unless we open ourselves up to Him fully, unreservedly, unresistingly, and unrelentingly. The key to receiving the love of God in our heart can be found in the story of the rich young ruler. Here was a guy who sincerely wanted something very wonderful. He wanted eternal life. And so he came to Jesus, and do you think that God and Jesus loved this young man? Do you think that they wanted to do everything in their power to save this young man for eternity, to give him the thing he was asking for? Do you think he, they did? Yes, and the Bible records that Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure where? In heaven, and come, follow me. One thing. 
Wow, I wish God could say that of me. Only one thing you lack. <laughs> what was, have you ever thought about that? What was that one thing that the rich young ruler lacked? Well, we don't have to worry about knowing what it is. We're told Christ read the ruler's heart. Only one thing he lacked, but that was a vital principle. He needed the love of God in the soul. This lack, unless supplied, would prove fatal to him. His whole nature would become corrupted. By indulgence, selfishness would strengthen. And then here's the key, that he might receive the love of God, his supreme love of self must be surrendered. My friends, here is the key to the seed of love, the surrender of self. In other words, if we want to love God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength, then we have to give God all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our strength. That makes sense, right? Only as we give ourselves wholeheartedly to Him can He plant that seed deeply into our hearts. Supreme love for God and unselfish love for one another, this is the best gift. My friends, what is the best gift that God can bestow? Supreme love for God and unselfish love for one another. This is the best gift that our Heavenly Father can bestow. This love is not an impulse, but a divine principle, a permanent power. The unconsecrated heart cannot originate or produce it. Only in the heart where Jesus reigns is it found. Isn't that a profound statement? Where is the love, this passionate, all-or-nothing love for God, where is it found? It's found in the heart where Jesus reigns. And my friends, for the first 30 years of my sincere Christian life, Jesus did not reign in my heart. And the love was not found there. Christ read the ruler's heart. Only one thing he lacked, but that was a vital principle. He needed the love of God in the soul, that he might receive the love of God, his supreme love of self must be surrendered. You know, there's something very interesting about the story of the rich young ruler. Here was a guy who came to Jesus with a very sincere desire, and Jesus said, go away. Did you notice that? I mean, wouldn't it make more sense if Jesus had said, hey, rich young ruler, you've got a problem. I know what it is. I've got the solution. Come follow me, and we'll work on this thing together. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus said, go away. Sell all you possess, and then come and we'll talk. Isn't that interesting? Does, does God not accept us just as we are? Why did Jesus tell the rich young ruler to go away and do this seemingly impossible thing? My friends, God does accept us just as we are, but he cannot accept us just as we are unless we are willing to be changed into something different. And the rich young ruler was not Jesus was not saying to the rich young ruler, hey, go away and love me more, and then when you love me more, come back and we'll talk. He was saying, no, with my help, get rid of those things that are keeping you from loving me only. That's essentially what he was saying. Go and get rid of those things that are keeping you from loving me only. <coughs> what he was talking about was a treasure transfer, the ultimate bank transfer. Jesus said, sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure where? <clears throat> in heaven. Why is it important to have treasure in heaven? Because where your treasure is, there your heart is also, right? And so what Jesus was talking about here was an ultimate bank transfer. And one of my favorite verses in all of scripture 
<clears throat> my wife and I have this, this contest to see whose favorite verse this is. This is my favorite verse. No, it's my favorite verse. No, it's my favorite verse. It's both of our favorite verse. This verse is a wonderful description of this ultimate bank transfer found in the book of Job. If you return to the Almighty, you will be restored. If you remove unrighteousness far from your tent and place your gold in the dust and the gold of Ophir among the stones of the brook, then the Almighty will be your gold and choice silver to you. For then you will delight in the Almighty and lift up your face to God. My friends, do you want to delight in the Almighty God? Do you want to lift up your face to God? You can. Do you want God to be your most precious possession? Do you want Him to be the gold of Ophir in your life? If so, you must make that ultimate treasure transfer. You must throw your gold in the dust, your gold of Ophir among the stones of the brooks, <clears throat> and then Jesus can be your gold and choice silver to you. This is our key phrase this evening. I'd like for you to read it out loud with me. The key to love is the surrender of self. If I wish to love God with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul, and with all my strength, I must give God all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, and all my strength. What do you think would have happened if Jesus had said to the rich young ruler, okay, you've got a problem, come follow me, and we'll work on this together. What do you think would have happened? We don't have to doubt, we can know. This had happened to him already. His name was Judas. Judas loved the great teacher and he desired to be with him. He, he felt a desire to be changed in character and life and he hoped to experience this through connecting himself with Jesus. And the Savior did not repulse Judas. He gave him a place among the twelve. He trusted him to do the work of an evangelist. He endowed him with the power to heal the sick and to cast out devils. But Judas did not come to the point of surrendering himself fully to Christ. My friends, if prayer and Bible study and witnessing were all that you needed, Judas would have had it because he spent years in the very presence of God on earth. He worked with God in, in, with Jesus in one of the most important outreach opportunities of all time. And Judas never got it. Judas was not willing to come to the point of surrendering himself fully to Jesus. And the rich young ruler had the same problem. Ellen White tells us that he wanted the heavenly treasure, but he wanted also. That word also is a terrible word when it comes to surrender. That word, he wanted also the temporal advantages his riches would bring him. He was sorry that such conditions existed. He desired eternal life, but he was not willing to make the sacrifice. The cost of eternal life seemed too great, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. All my life, I was the rich young ruler. I was a sincere Christian. I had prayed the surrender prayer and sung the surrender song. I wanted to be surrendered. I wanted to be a good Christian. But I had these temporal treasures, just like the rich young ruler, that I was not willing to get rid of. It wasn't money. It was choices. Choices that I was not willing to give God. Little, little choices that I was not willing to give God. And these, these temporal advantages kept me from loving God with all of my heart and mind and soul and strength. 
The good news is, is that unlike the rich young ruler, God did eventually get through to me. God miraculously, I'm going to be sharing this, my story with you on uh, Saturday night, God miraculously got through to me. And he brought me to the point where I was truly willing and able to give him all of my temporal advantages. To throw my precious possessions in the dust. To give him all of my choices. And do you know what happened? Do you know what happened immediately after I surrendered, probably for the first time in my life, to Jesus? Do you know what happened? I began to love prayer. I really, really looked forward to it. For the first time in my life, this isn't something I had to do or should do. This is something I wanted to do. I could pray for an hour and hardly realize the time going by. I enjoyed it. And that delight in prayer stayed with me. That, my friends, was one of the greatest miracles I've ever experienced. It didn't come because of a new prayer technique or a prayer seminar, although those can be useful, but they don't hold a candle to conversion. For the first time in my life, the Holy Spirit was in charge. And the first fruit of the Spirit is love. And then joy and peace and patience. All these wonderful things that I was not letting God do for me and through me. You know, there's an, another important aspect about this story, the rich young ruler, that you and I need to consider tonight, very briefly. And that is the cost of eternal life. How many of you thought that, that eternal life was free? You should be raising your hand, right? The Bible's on your side. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, right? Eternal life is free. But so, so what happened here? Why didn't Jesus say to the rich young ruler, hey, you're overthinking this. Eternal life is free. Here, have it. Enjoy. Why instead did Jesus set the bar so high that the rich young ruler was unwilling to pay for it? Did you know that eternal life and Jesus himself are free gifts that cost everything? Say what? How can a free gift cost everything? Do you remember the parable of the um, pearl of great price? When the man found that pearl, that pearl, and Jesus is the pearl, what did he do? <laughs> when he found one pearl great price, the Bible says he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Does that ring any bells to you? Does that sound familiar? This is exactly what Jesus was asking the rich young ruler to do. And my friends, it's the exact same thing that each one of us must do as well. The only way that we can delight in the Almighty is to throw our gold in the dust. Jesus did not ask the rich young ruler to do anything that he's not asking you and I to do today. In the parable, the pearl is not represented as a gift. The merchantman bought it at the price of all that he had. Many question the meaning of this since Christ is represented in the scriptures as a gift. Okay, here it is. This is the answer. He is a gift, but only to those who give themselves soul, body, and spirit to him without reserve. And she goes on, we are to give ourselves to Christ to live a life of willing obedience to all his requirements. All that we are, all the talents and capabilities we possess are the Lord's to be consecrated to his service. And this, is, this next statement is so incredible. When we thus give ourselves wholly to him, Christ with all the treasures of heaven gives himself to us. We receive the pearl of great price. Isn't that an incredible statement? When we thus give ourselves wholly to him, Christ with all the treasures of heaven gives himself to us. 
He is a gift, but only to those who give themselves soul, body, and spirit to him without reserve. Jesus and eternal life are gifts, free gifts, priceless gifts that cost everything. But doesn't that bother you a little bit still? I mean, isn't it kind of deceptive to say, hey, it's a free gift, and then to say, but it'll cost you everything. I mean, do you think you'd get away with that? That's called a bait and switch, right? Is God doing that to us? Is he bait and switching us? Maybe a modern uh, day illustration will help us out. <clears throat> when NASA closed down its fleet of space shuttles, they gave them away, free of charge. Billion dollar spaceships, the pride of the American space program, given away free of charge. So why don't I have one in my backyard? I think my kids would have enjoyed that, don't you think? Hey guys, come to my house, we got a space shuttle, right? So why don't I have one? Well, there's many reasons. <clears throat> 28 million of those reasons is that um, before you can have a space shuttle that's safe for your kids to be playing around in, you gotta do something called decommissioning it. You gotta get rid of all those toxic chemicals and noxious substances, and that will cost you about $28 million. And then, in order to fly it to your backyard, you're going to have to have a 10,000-foot runway. You know, they put the, the thing on the 747 and they fly it in, right? 10,000-foot runway. How many of you have a 10,000-foot runway in your backyard? Anybody? I have to ask because I do have a student who does. So you never know. But if you don't, that's going to cost you another $5.8 million. And then you're going to need some place to store this national treasure that is temperature and humidity controlled, and that's going to cost you another $14 million. So, oh, that $8 million. So altogether, the free gift, priceless treasure, is going to cost you around $42 million. That's about almost 42 million reasons why I don't have one. <laughs> the gift is free, but the ability to receive that gift costs a fortune. It's the same way with Jesus. Jesus is a free gift, a priceless gift, but not anyone or everyone can receive that free gift into their hearts. You have to be ready and able to receive the Almighty God into your life. And my friends, it's just not possible without giving yourself soul, body, and spirit to Him without reserve. The only way that we can possibly receive the priceless treasure is to let God reign in our heart, in our daily lives, in the choices that we make, in the, the, the way we spend our free time, in the way we spend our money, in the things that we watch, in the things that we do, in the things that we eat, in every aspect of our life, we need to let God be Almighty God in our lives throwing our most precious choices in the dust. And this is the thing that I never learned when I was your age. And the reason why I have such a passion for sharing this with youth especially is because I want you guys to have a 20-year head start on me. If you haven't already given yourself wholeheartedly to Jesus, if he is not already the passion of your life, this is the key that I'm sharing with you tonight. And there's nothing in heaven or earth that can keep you from receiving this wonderful gift except yourself. <coughs> Only you can turn away God. He is an incredible gift. 
but a gift that not everybody can receive. In order to love God with all of our heart and mind and soul and strength, we must give God all of our heart and mind and strength. Are you willing to make that choice? You can. It's your choice to make. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we just want to praise you for the the choice that we have to delight in you, to relish you, to love you, to find joy in being around you and in doing your work and working with you and by you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for that privilege and thank you for the choice that we have. And I pray, Father, for each one of us in this room right now that we will make that choice if we haven't already. That we will use the power of choice that you've given us to say, Lord, I give up. I want you to have all my treasure. I want to throw everything into the dust. I want you to be my gold and choice silver to me. I want to delight in you. Father, this is something that only you can do in us. We pray for your mighty power working in each one of our hearts and minds to accomplish this incredible experience that only you can give us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.